This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with Stealth Cam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure to check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. All right, Jared, you ready to get this thing rolling? I'm ready to roll, man. All right, Jared. Well, first and foremost, man, want to welcome you to the Hunt Stand Podcast. This is the first time. So thanks for taking the time out of your schedule this week to talk deer, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. I'm looking forward to this. Same here, man. I know this is kind of the time of year that a lot of hunters are in that limbo, if you will. You know, like turkey season's just fixing to start, but we still kind of have deer hunting on our mind. It's over. People are shed hunting, but now is kind of that time that people are beginning to formulate for the fall. So before we kind of get into your spring scouting tactics and how you approach this time of year when it comes to deer hunting, I want you to kind of give the guests that that 30,000 foot tree stand view or, you know, I call it the 30 foot tree stand view of who you are. So kind of tell us about yourself, man. 
Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm here in Southeast Iowa. I moved around a, a decent amount growing up, but pretty much call Southeast Iowa home, Eastern Iowa, Southeast Iowa home. Um, most of my hunting is within you know 30 minutes of where I live. Um, kind of got my start in the outdoors, like a lot of people through my dad and grandpa, only that it wasn't necessarily on the hunting side, it was more on the trapping side. So some of my earliest memories of just being in the outdoors of running trap lines with them, they were a lot bigger on that side of things than they were the hunting. Mm -hmm. They did a little bit of the small game stuff, you know, rabbit, squirrel, and, you know, maybe dabbled in the deer hunting a little bit, but it wasn't until a little bit later on that I kind of got bit by the deer hunting bug. Um, and, you know the especially the bow hunting kind of self-taught there and it was really cool i kind of got to do it a little bit backwards and a lot of people uh, i got to kind of help get my dad into bow hunting later on after i had been doing it for a few years and got to you know be around when he killed his first deer with the bow so that was a lot of fun um and you know some of the best memories i have of you know my early years of hunting was that I've been fortunate enough to somewhat make a career um, that revolves around a lot of time in the woods chasing these whitetails. You know, I've developed over the years just just as much of a passion on the filming and videography side, mm. um, just as much as the hunting. And to be able to combine those has, has been a lot of fun. I've recently transitioned from a career standpoint just to you know, hopefully structure something a little bit better long-term for me and my family and to try to keep keep it fun. I've been doing this for, I mean, I think I've te technically been working in the industry for like 13 years now. And, you know, while it's been great and it's been, you know, you realize a lot of dreams, it also kind of gets a little tricky when you, you're balancing such a passion like hunting mm -hmm. with work. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of speaking to the choir there and you, you probably understand what I'm getting, but a lot of, a lot of people, you know, maybe don't realize that perspective. And so for me now, you know, within the last six months or so, I'm, I'm starting to get a little more clarity on how I can keep that fun, keep it enjoyable. Um, this past fall for me was, <clears throat> was so much needed. I, I had one of the best falls that I can remember, not only the hunting success, but just the enjoyment, getting back to enjoying being in the woods and not having it, all this stress and kind of take the fun away from hunting and mm -hmm. being too closely tied to work. Um, so that's one of my biggest goals moving forward is what can I structure to keep the hunting fun, keep, you know, keep that passion lit. Um, so yeah, I, I recently transitioned out on my own, start producing some of my own content that's a little more on my own terms um you know deciding who to work with and all that type of stuff right now so i'm just i'm, I'm very anxious to see what the future holds um but I, I feel like i'm in a good spot right now just from the, the just from the enjoyment of it all and, and getting back to kind of what it felt like in the beginning you know what what when we more or less hunted for maybe different reasons um just like you know that feeling of being back in your roots of hunting so that's kind of where i'm at from a career standpoint um, but yeah, I, when, when you talk about, we're kind of in the, in limbo and in, in between time, it's, you know, it's, it consumes my mind all year round. Like they, it doesn't seem like there's an off season. It's just the activity is very little bit, but you know, you're constantly thinking about what can you do to, uh, you know, make your situation better, your hunting better, your property better, whatever it is. So 
I love this time of year. Uh, it's so fun to to get out and really explore and, you know, it just scratches an itch that, you know, with cabin fever and the, the long winters, it just is, it's a, it's a very refreshing time of year to be out in the woods. Heck yeah, man. You couldn't have said it any better. You know, something I want to touch on, you, you spoke on this was uh, doing things on your own terms so that way you can still enjoy hunting. And that's so true. And I kind of want to talk to people that are working in the industry is like, I, I've found myself in that before. Um, I used to work for a brand that was heavily involved in bass fishing and, you know, you just live it and breathe it cause you're doing it for work. And I got to the point where I was like, I'd come home and dad would look at me and be like, Hey man, let's go to the lake. Let's go get in the boat and go. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I do not want to go fishing right now. <laughs> I've been doing that the past seven days. Yeah. And you know, it's, I have found myself kind of doing that same thing right now where I've been telling myself like, okay, you live, eat, sleep, work, deer hunting, turkey hunting, everything. And so I've tried to find some different avenues outside of work that I'm not constantly thinking about it. So that way when I come back to the computer or I'm out in the field, I'm, I'm refreshed. So I think that's super important for people to think about that are in the industry. Yeah. And it's very hard even for the people that are in it to realize when it gets to that point, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily an aha moment for me. It's more in hindsight, like looking back at this past fall, this past fall, fall was the first fall in a long time that I hunted without a cameraman. I still self filmed everything and, mm -hmm. and all that, but I didn't have someone else in my, in the tree with me. And just that time alone, you know, while self filming is obviously very challenging and there's a lot that goes into that there's also a lot of quiet time and you feel like you're not having to be on as much as if there's a cameraman in the tree with you. And, and mm -hmm. again, I love hunting with people. There's a lot of enjoyment in that too. But I think that looking back, that's kind of what brought me back to uh, a style of hunting that was closer to my roots. And that's kind of what opened my eyes. Like, man, I did not know how badly I needed a fall like this past one until I went through it. Yeah. Um, so now it's, it, like I said, it's just brought more clarity to how I need to focus and how I need to structure things moving forward so that I still can retain that feeling, you know, no matter where I go career wise. Big thing, big thing. And man, I was watching that. It was at a 195 or 197 that you killed. I can't remember. Uh, four. Yeah. 194. 194. That's Dude, I was watching that and like watching that buck come in and was it a doe that was grunting? That was like grunt screaming or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Man, yeah, it was wild. I was getting stressed out watching that, and I mean, I'll I'll drop the link down <laughs> in the description below for all the listeners so they can see this. But watching that buck come in, and then like watching you trying to get the camera on him, and then like get draw back on your bow and grunting at him, and like he would not stop. And then when you finally put the arrow through him, I'm like, whoo, dude, that was that was a stressful yeah. situation, especially self filming. I love it too. I love that you you were even stressed out by watching it because I, I, I keep telling people this and all the recent conversations I've had, that is my goal as like, as a videographer, as a content creator, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. My goal is to make you feel like you're in the tree with me. And, you know, when, when people tell me like they felt like they were sitting right above my shoulder or they got stressed out or they were you know, unbelievably nervous. Like I, I love hearing that. Cause it, it, I feel like I did my job and, as, as closely as possible replicated the situation because it was definitely the highest stress situation. The filming added to the stress, just the, 
the intensity, even, even if there was no camera, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very intense situation for a bow hunter, um, when that happens. And then the, you know, the, the camera and the self-filming just exponentially adds to it. But yeah, it was, it was such a cool haunt. Just the way it transpired is just one of those moments that it's one of the, one of the biggest reasons I film is, is right there. You know, it's a perfect example. I want to be able to relive that moment at any time for the rest of my life. I have it all documented. I have it all filmed. And that's why I'll, that's why I'll never go to the woods without a camera, no matter if it's time to work or not. You know, the filming has become just as big of a passion for that reason. You know, everything is relivable at any moment. And, you know, I can just watch, pull that video up and watch it. Yeah, dude, it, the whole time that's going down I me, mean, like I self film myself this past year, you know, I've done it the past couple of years and, you know, I've been in situations like that before where, you know, the deer's moving you want to get it in frame and you got to get back to full draw. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, Oh my God, how's he doing this? How did he do it? <clears throat> yeah, definitely, definitely a good show though. So I'll, I'll drop the link for that episode down below. So, uh, man, let's get into spring whitetail scouting. You know, you're talking about, this is your, yeah. your favorite time of the year. You're thinking about how to make the property better. You're thinking about stand locations. You know, uh, where are you located again that you get to hunt? Uh, Eastern Iowa, Southeast Iowa. So no baiting, correct? Or you can bait? I can't. I can't remember. No baiting. No baiting. No. You can you can feed like during the off season if you wanted to supplemental feed or anything mm-hmm. like that. But you, yeah, there's no baiting uh, during the season in Iowa. Yeah. So yeah, you, you've got all these things going through your head about what you want to do differently for the fall, how you're going to do it. So I kind of want to pick your brain today on when it gets to be this time of year. You know, this is the time that everybody's thinking about that stuff. So let's pick Jared's brain about how you're starting to approach this year to get prepped for the fall. You're doing your spring scouting. So we're, I mean, essentially, what's step one for you in this whole process? I typically don't get after it too hard until it's about time. You know, I, I do a fair amount of spring scouting, postseason scouting, but mm-hmm. it's usually tied to another activity as well, whether that's shed hunting, frost eating clover, you know, timber stain improvement, whatever that is. I'm usually, it's usually a dual purpose outing to a property, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'll, using the TSI, for example, I'll, I'll run the chainsaw for a while and, you know, get tired and I'll spend an hour, my break from chainsaw and an hour walking around scouting, looking at things. But this is a time of year I, I love, I'm one of those guys that just loves to cover every square inch of a property, especially a property that I haven't done that before. If it's a newer property or maybe it's a property that I gained access to later in the year when I didn't want to disturb, disturb a lot of it. This is a time of year where I'm not worried about disturbing anything. I just want to cover every square inch of it. I want to know whether or not I have a target buck there or not. I want to know it for when I do have a target buck. You know, maybe it's a, a, you know, just to back up and kind of draw a picture of my situation a little Mm -hmm. bit more. I don't very often, I mean, it, it happens, but more often than not, I'm finding my deer to hunt later in the sun, later in the summer, early in the fall. Like I don't always know this time of year what deer I'm going to be hunting this next fall. Yeah, a uh, lot of lot of lot of pressure on the properties I hunt or around the properties I hunt. So a lot of times the best deer just don't make it through, and so usually I'm starting fresh the next year trying to locate a shooter buck on a property. Um, you know whether that's a you know four and a half year old that makes a big jump 
you know, from four and a half to five and a half, and now he's on the hit list, or sometimes it's it's a buck that just, you know, changes this core area, and now all of a sudden he's spending more time on a property I can hunt. Um, it's just a lot of more often than not, I'm finding new bucks to hunt rather than going into the spring. Like, okay, how can I kill this deer this next fall? Yeah. It's usually study the area. So that way, if there is a buck spending time there, I'm familiar with the terrain. I'm familiar with how they use it in general. And that's going to up my chances of catching up to that buck, um, that happens to be using that area that I scouted. So I don't know if that's if you want to call that backwards or not, but I just kind of wanted to paint a picture of of that because I think a lot of times people are trying to figure out, you know, they go find the sheds or trying to put the pieces together on a certain buck. Um, and I've done that before. It's just more often than not, I'm just scouting the area specifically and how the deer use it rather than a specific buck's area, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, there's – there's so many different ways that people, you know, they, they go after the spring. Um, you know I mean? So you're, you're doing that. I mean, do you turkey hunt on your property as well? I do. Yeah. So that's another great multi per, I mean, with it being turkey season right here. I mean, I think that's one of those things that a lot of people don't think about as well. You know, they're, they're focused on that turkey and they may not make those notes in their phone, their hunting app, like hunt stand or, you know, they're just going after the birds and they're walking by like all these deer signs, like all these things that they should be recording. So, I mean, is that, you know, you're talking about going out in the woods, multi-purpose trips for your spring scouting. Is that something you're heavily doing when you're turkey hunting as well? For sure. You know, I'm, I enjoy turkey hunting, but it's nowhere near the same level as whitetail hunting for me. You know, I, I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy chasing them with the bow. I'm getting ready to go on the first trip of the year here in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. But I am not the kind of guy that's going to chase birds late into the morning. Usually I'm going to hunt them for, you know, an hour or two. And then if I have the time that day, if I don't have to get back to work or anything, I just switch into scouting mode or whitetail mode. Yeah. Either do a whitetail project or actually scout and, and check out some, some ground or terrain. Um, yeah, it's anything, pretty much anything in the spring usually turns into a scouting trip. Yeah. in some sort of fashion whether it's the turkey hunting the shed hunting whatever um that's it's just I, I feel like anytime you're out on a property you should be trying to gather some information some intel that's going to help you uh just the more familiar you are with a property and how the deer use it you know i think that just it, it just speaks volumes of about how successful you can be um when it comes to actually hunting a deer in the fall big time so when you're, when you're out there, you're doing your scouting, what are some of the key features or you know, what, what are the things you're looking for from bedding areas to food sources, you know, sanctuaries? Are those the things you're looking for? And, you know, what else are you trying to put together when you're out there? Yeah, I would say I'm trying to figure out or try to answer the question why more often than not. So I'll kind of use information from the previous fall, whether that's encounters or trail cam photos or whatever, and then try to put the pieces together almost backwards where you're saying, okay, why did it seem like all the deer were coming from this direction? Or, you know, why was I getting him a lot on this camera? They're getting a lot of bucks on this camera, but not this one. Mm -hmm. And you know, walk those areas and figure out, you know, you almost, you're almost just walking them, and you're looking for the small things. I'm not necessarily looking for like a lot of 
typical buck sign, like rubs, scrapes, stuff like that. Of course, I pay attention to all that, but I like, I like more looking at the trails, the pinches, the funnels. I think to me, those are a little bit more important, like where you can actually hunt those deer. And then yeah. of course, entry and exit routes uh, as it relates to those spots. So I spent a lot of time focusing on, you know, if it's a certain area that I can hunt or not hunt, you know, if it's an area I can hunt, I'm going to spend a lot more time there. If it's an area that I can't get into clean, you know, I may look and be like, okay, there's definitely deer bedding in here. They're definitely using this area, but that's about the extent of, of how much I'll cover that spot. I'll, I'll more thoroughly cover a spot that I can get into and potentially find a tree to, to hang in. Um, if I can get in and out clean as far as my access routes. So your highest priority then is looking for the best area with the best entry and exit routes and then pretty much building a game plan from there. Yeah, I would say that's, that's a, definitely a fair assessment. I think entry and exit almost always has to be number one consideration when hunting a spot, mm-hmm. unless you know, it's a spot that you don't care if you can't hunt it more than once or twice. All, you're like, I'm just going to go in here when the time is right. I don't care. You know, if I can't get out clean, I'm going all in when the conditions are perfect. There, there are those spots and I have those spots. That, you know, you're not always going to have clean access to every, every potential good spot on your property. Um, but for the most part, the, the first consideration and the most important consideration is can I get in and out of here to be able to hunt it more than one time? Gotcha. You know, with that essentially kind of being like your primary focus, what would you say is secondary to that? Um, I would say as a bow hunter, you know, I put a lot of stake into how a spot sets up as far as the, the forced deer movement. So we talk about pinches, we talk about funnels, travel corridors, all that type of stuff. I don't necessarily want to put myself in a spot where I'm going to be watching deer walk by. They could be at 20 yards, but they could be at a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. I'd rather focus on the spot where I know they have to be within 40, you know, up my chances as a, as a bow hunter. Um, because a lot of times if you, you know, if you take the time during your spring scouting to just walk some of the deer trails, you know, eventually there's going to be a spot where they get pinched down to something, whether it's, it could be a creek crossing, it could be, you know, the head of a ditch, it could be a fence, it could be whatever. There's a, there's a lot of force movement things. Um, and you, but you just have to find them. Sometimes they're very obvious and sometimes it's just something as simple as, you know, a, a fallen tree that, that fell over and the deer walking around it. I mean, de- everyone knows deer are going to take the the easiest route most of the time. Um, and it doesn't have to be something crazy. It doesn't have to be some, you know, stereotypical big pinch um, that, that we all look for. Sometimes it can be something so simple, but the key to that is you got to find those spots and the way to find those spots is right now walking as much as you can follow the deer trails. Um, you know, you'll find, you know, maybe you'll find a spot where, you'd be walking one and two more join it at a, at a spot. And then you're, you're up and up in your chances of, you know, that deer walking by that stand, no matter which trail he's coming or going on. So um, I'd say those are the types of things I look for, you know, going in order, 
one, the entry and exit, but two, those spots where as a bow hunter, I have a high likelihood of getting a shot at a deer because they have to come through this spot. Do you utilize a feature like on HuntStand where the trace feature, when you're out there and you're finding these trails and you're walking them, do you like to turn that on so that, you know, you walk the trails as best you can until it basically goes dry and then you get back, throw everything up on the desktop and look at it. Does that help you give a, a better understanding and better view of what's going on too? For sure. I love the trace feature. I mean, I think I use it for a lot of different reasons this time of year. Like even if I'm shed hunting, I will turn it on so that, you know, it's not always easy to grid an area unless you have something that, you know, tells you you didn't miss uh, some big block, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll turn it on and grid search an area with that on and then look at the end and be like, okay, I did a pretty good job covering this. I can move to the next section or whatever. So I use it for that. Um, I use it for, you know, outlining food plots as far as like to calculate the acreage, I'll walk around it with the trace feature and then, then measure it. Um, but yeah, and then, then trails. So use the, the trace feature to mark a main trail. I don't do every trail. It just, you know, there's, there's a lot of trails, obviously the right. secondary trails and stuff like that, but the primary ones, a lot of times, um, you're kind of going back to the whole access thing. I use, I use creeks and ditches a lot for access. Um, so naturally with that, I'll look for major Creek crossings and I'll start at the crossing and trace from there, trace where that main trail goes. Of course, it's going to branch out, Mm -hmm. but kind of the predominant trail from that Creek crossing, um, that's probably where I'll more often use something like the trace feature, um, to actually have it plotted on the map so I can come back and visit it, you know, later as I'm looking for specific tree stand locations or or whatever once a deer's using that area yeah that's i think that's a big thing that a lot of people don't think about to do is you know they may walk it and then they try to remember it and then you know it's it just at the end of the day it just comes down to cataloging and make sure you're making notes um you know i want to touch on what you talked about next is you know tree stand placement pop-ups or blinds or whatever you're hunting out of when you're doing a lot of your spring scouting or this time of year i've talked to some guys that they want to try and get their stands and stuff up in April because they want to get that up. They may set us, they may set a camera up in there that's got a solar panel with a bigger battery, so they can just let it super soak and not go in there. I mean, is that something you're doing this time of year as well? I would say I do less of that. Um, I I'm big into mobile hunting, mm-hmm. um, so I I really I like doing hanging hunts. But what I'll do similar to that is I'll drop pins on those trees. You know, when I find a tree like this is a very good spot to hang a stand in, I will drop pins and, you know, have pins all over the map, you know, with that as, as locations. I'll put little, little notes on it, you know, like potential oak tree needs trend or potential, you know, whatever, just Mm -hmm. put little notes and drop a pin on that. So that way it goes back to me finding new deer every fall if I was hanging stands in all these good spots, you know, I would have a lot of wasted stands that I just don't go to because, you know, I'm not hunting a deer in that spot or that property or whatever. So I tend to more just drop the pins until I know I'm going to be hunting a deer there and then either go hang a stand, you know, late summer or even I've, I've hung 
lots of stands during the hunting season you know just go in with the right conditions like you are hunting right wind direction all that type of stuff or in the mm -hmm. rain or whatever hang the stand and get out of there and go back in when the conditions are right to hunt it so i'm not necessarily worried about when i hang the stand um it's just i i don't hang stands until i know i'm gonna be actually hunting those spots um for certain deer so i'm not wasting a bunch of effort and have a bunch of unused tree stands you know from year to year yeah. so yeah similar concept without the actual hanging stand until i know i need to just catalog and recording that's the that's the biggest thing that's this right. time of year you know the, yeah. ne the next thing i want to talk about you you touched on this early on is TSIs and hinge cuttings. Uh, how are you approaching, you know, after you've done your boots on the ground and you've identified areas that you want to have stand placements, uh, how are you approaching your hinge cutting? Like, I've read a lot of different things that people talk about, you know, they'll do hinge cuts to help create wind barriers and, you know, direct the deer the direction they need to go. Like, there's different theories behind hinge cutting. I mean, proven theories, if you will. I mean, how are you approaching looking at that this time of year? Yeah, it's, it's pretty situation dependent. So, like, obviously, a lot of times when you're going to do TSI, you know, one of the main reasons is to more or less, you know, release some of the better trees so that your primary goal is getting more sunlight to the ground, getting some of the junk trees removed so that you can release some of the better crop trees or, you know, future lumber value trees or whatever it is but along with that you can also manipulate some of the deer movement too back to that you know i mentioned like a fallen tree deer going around it i've i've had success and you know actually was doing it just a couple of weeks ago on a new property that i bought last last summer um i have a spot that's maybe 100 yards wide 80 mm -hmm. yards wide something like that and there's nothing that dictates the movement within those 80 within that 80 yards um, but laying a couple of trees over from the one side is going to force the deer within the 40 yard section yeah. so that's kind of what i'm doing and, and it's not just for a hunting purpose it's also for just you know it's a better spot to put a camera if you don't have deer walking anywhere who knows what you're missing unless you're running you know 70 cameras on a property you're missing a lot so the more you can have predominant deer trails and a little bit more forced movement you know there's the more information you're going to be able to gather and the, the more likely a deer's going to be within bow range so um yeah i'll definitely do some hinge cutting that forces some deer movement there it's it's not the primary reason that i i hinge cut but if i'm in a spot where it makes sense it's going to kind of hit both of those um, reasons to do it, then, then yeah, I've had success doing that. Man. And I wanted to talk about it because I feel like <clears throat> I've seen a lot of stuff on social media lately where there's just guys going out there with a chainsaw, just willy nilly, just hacking away, hinge cutting. And it, I, it almost kind of seems like hinge cutting has become like this romanticized sexy term in deer hunting right now. So I've been seeing this. I'm like, okay, maybe yeah. in a Texas boy, it's a little different, you know, so it's different down here. So I'm looking at this like, what is like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's. I agree. It, it's definitely. It's just a tool. I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. Is it's not. It's not an option for every spot or every property. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think maybe the reason people like it a little bit more is you can. It's 
it's like an instant gratification. You can physically see this horizontal cover laying on the ground. Whereas if you're, you know, girdling a tree or completely falling a tree flat on the ground, you don't, you can't maybe envision how that's going to help getting that sunlight to the ground. It's going to take a while, but eventually, you know, you're going to get some, some better undergrowth in that spot. Um, and better cover in that spot. So maybe, it, I don't know, maybe the hinge cutting is just more instant gratification for guys. Yeah. And that's why it's it's become more popular. But um, yeah, I, I, I see hinge cutting, it's valuable. I like doing it, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not the only thing I do. And it's very dependent on the spot, whether or not I'm actually going to hinge cut a tree there. And yeah. it's it depends on the type of tree too, obviously. Yeah, very true. You know, another thing this time of year, uh, I saw the guys on uh, bowhunterdyerbowhunting.com recently do this. Uh, they're doing some whitetail herd management analysis with, like, drones. They're throwing drones up in the air. or you know, Like, down here in Texas, we'll do deer counts uh, to try and get an assessment of your herd. Is that something that you like to implement this time of year as well, or you're just using cameras? Yeah, just using cameras. I don't necessarily have any experience with, with mm-hmm. that. Um, and I really don't get too crazy about using cameras for for deer this time of year um i i focus a little bit more in the summer when it's fun to watch them grow their antlers but a lot of my properties but right by about now um or at least within this month time frame most of the deer uh, are dispersing starting to disperse and spread out you know they haven't been pressured for the past two and a half months, three months, whatever it is, they're starting to get pretty comfortable moving around daylight, moving around open fields, and they start to disperse to their summer ranges. You know, the stuff's starting to green up. They got food popping up everywhere. Um, they're just they're just not as grouped up. And so a lot of times these bucks I won't see until, you know, August, September. Uh, so I don't get too crazy about inventory type activities until right around that time frame. Yeah. Just before the season. Yeah. It's, I, I kind of see the same thing here. I mean, being in Texas, I mean, yeah, we've got feeders and bait stations and everything. And I see the same thing on our property. Like I'll let the cameras, I've let them go a little bit longer than what I normally have. And deer just start disappearing. And, you know, like you said, they're just kind of split yeah. up because we're, we're getting rain and they got plenty of growth. Yeah. And, you know, then finally, like you're talking about August, September, all of a sudden they just come back up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's so funny. It's it, it seems like it's very area. It, it's interesting that you you talk about Texas. I was curious what it was like. What you know that situation is like down there. If you have a lot more homebody deer, if they disperse just like they do here, you know a lot of the properties I hunt aren't that big. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them are you know under two hundred acres. Um, so obviously the deer travel from property to property all the time. Yeah. But especially this time of year, they really start to disperse and spread out. Yeah, um, for the over the next few months, it, it depends. I mean, obviously, we've got lots of places with high fences here, and we're on uh, 200 acres. It's actually low fence. Uh, the negative to it is one of our neighbors did come in on the backside, and they kind of blocked us off to a creek. So I used to have a lot of deer that would come off from this neighboring property and travel in, travel out. Um, so they came and high fenced it, unfortunately. So it's definitely changed travel routes mm-hmm. of deer. So we've got two uh, north north facing and northwest facing as well as south that we get a lot of our deer traveling from. And so like last year, uh, we've got a cabin set up on the south end of the property that has a field 
uh, borders the fence line. So I watched a really, really good buck come over the fence midday during the rut. And by two o'clock that afternoon, one of my cell cams lit up. I get a message and he's on the complete opposite north side of the property, just chasing after a doe. And so, yeah, it's, it's real similar unless of course you're on a high fence property. Then, I mean, just depending on how big the piece is, it's, it's different, but yeah, we're low fence. Yeah. That's crazy though, that you have to like, that it's that popular down there, that um, common down there that you got to, uh, clarify high fence versus low fence. I mean, it's just a different, different world. You know, I don't know of any, a single high fence here in Iowa. Um, it's just a, it's just crazy to think about. That's something you have to worry about. And that's something mm-hmm. that dictates your hunting is, you know, all the high fences and fences changing. That's, that's kind of crazy too. Yeah. And I'll probably get a little hate when I say this, uh, from people in Texas, but I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of high fences. Um, I mean, I get it if you have a piece yeah. of property and you have a deer breeding operation or, <clears throat> you know, you've got a business behind it. Like, I get it. I understand it. But then the thing that sucks is for somebody like me that's hunting low fence, when you come in and, and you put that high fence up, like last year, turkey hunting stinks because that's where the birds roost. So they come right up to this high fence and they just sit there. I can sit there and call at them. And I put a reel up last year. I had six different birds come up and just go up and down this fence and, you know, turkeys are turkeys. and. It, it'll take them 24 hours to figure out they can roost over that fence. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's tough, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's just a different world than, than what I'm used to up, up here for sure. And that, like, obviously I'm, I'm all for people hunting the way they want to hunt. Everyone mm-hmm. can, can do things the way they want to do it, but it definitely makes it tough when them doing what they want affects you with hunting. Yeah. Like that's that's where it gets a little bit more frustrating yeah. is when you know it, it has a direct impact on how you want to hunt or your quality of hunting. It's a it's a double edged sword at the end of the day. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But I get it. So, you know, getting back to the spring scouting, what are some other things that you're doing this time of year? You know, aside from we've talked about, you know, the scouting that you're doing boots on the ground, looking for trails and all the different things and finding out where you may want to place stands. I mean, are there any other things that you're looking at this time of year when you're putting together that game plan for the fall? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, you know, I still learn something every time I am out hunting, like in the fall, I learn stuff all the time, you mm-hmm. know, throughout the fall. So it's a, it's a big learning experience you're hunting different deer different areas um you're just gaining more experience as a hunter and so a lot of times this time of year i'm trying to see how i can apply that knowledge that i gained last fall to the spring you know maybe it's just setting up a little bit different trying different areas maybe it's uh creating a new food plot in a location that makes a lot more sense to encourage daylight movement or whatever it is um just trying to constantly improve constantly make adjustments and try new things that's that's one of the the coolest things about about what we do is you get to experiment a lot and that's such i'm a big believer the best way to learn is trial and error you know i think we live in this this you know world where you know you have the podcast you have a lot of a lot of content out there you have a lot of guys trying to be the expert and everything but Mm -hmm. you know one of the biggest things that i believe in is the deer that you're hunting 
are still the best teachers. There's, you, there's just so much that you can learn from them and so much you can't learn from someone that's not in your shoes hunting your property, hunting your deer. And so the more you can focus on taking information from the deer you're hunting and the hunts you had and apply it going into the next year, you're going to be so much further ahead of um, of the game if, if as opposed to only you know, listening to other people and what they have to say. It's great to listen to other people. You get little nuggets of information oh, yeah. and you can apply some of that, but that only goes so far. You, your, your hunting situation is still most likely much different than what they're talking about, or it's at least unique in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that the deer you're hunting on your property are still the best teachers. And that's what I try to focus on this time of year. Again, I try to cover every square inch. You know, sometimes there's stuff that pops up, even properties that I've done that before, stuff changes from year to year. You know, so you know, trees grow up more, brush grows up more, trees fall down, creates pinch points. Like it's just constantly changes. So it's, a, it's just a lot of, a lot of boot miles this time of year. A lot of just, just cover everything, go over it all you know, make notes, keep track of it in the app, you know, all that type of stuff is just, you know, I think those are the, those are the main things I do is just, just cover a lot of ground, just have no concern for bumping deer out, anything like that. This is the time of year to get in and do it all and uh, spend as much time on these properties as possible so that you're prepared in the fall. Absolutely. You know, the other, the other big thing I think we should touch on too is I think there's years where, you have a really successful year and you're thinking, man, I got these deer figured out. They're doing what they're (laughs) supposed to be doing. They're reading the script. We've killed the giants, man. We're going to do the same thing next year. And we're just going to have year after year success. And you know, I've, I've been in those boots before. And then the next year, it's like the deer are coming from the complete opposite direction. You have no idea why. And they don't read the script at all. And it's like, you're back to square one. Yeah. I laugh because I, uh, you know, I've learned that lesson the hard way many, many times. So, um, yeah, you're, you're spot on. There's, there's stuff that changes that you don't account for. And I mean, let's be honest, there's a ton of luck involved in, in chasing big mature whitetails. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's just how it is. There's, there's so many things that have to fall in place. Even if you do your absolute best, scouting preparation everything there's there's always going to be a level of luck involved so you know understanding that first and foremost but again it goes back to continue to learn like okay you had a fall where you got beat you thought you were very well prepared you got you you got your tail whooped didn't kill a deer whatever he's always skirting around you whatever it is why figure out why this is the time of year to figure out why and and you know, hopefully be pe- better prepared the next fall and, and figure out like when you say the deer are coming from different directions that's another thing to figure out is it crop rotation is it you know something change on within the neighborhood or you know on the neighboring property or whatever it is you'll figure out those things um because usually there's a reason for why these deer do certain things um you can't always figure it out but you know usually there's a reason for it if you can yeah. Man, I know we're running out of time here, but uh kind of tell us, you know, what what big plans do you have for yourself this upcoming deer season? Uh like I said, first and foremost, just continue to keep it fun. I I still love 
the filming, the production side. So you all have a few different ideas for what I think will be fun content to create um, and, and hopefully fun content for people to follow along with. Um, you know, this, this off season, I plan on, of course, doing a lot of property stuff, scouting stuff, but also, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier, my love for the videography side and the reasons why I will always take a camera. Yeah, I, I plan to produce some videos around that, around filming hunts, you know, how to get into it, what types of gear, um, yeah, everything, how to how to pack your bag, how to set up in a tree, all that type of stuff. I'm just a big advocate for guys getting out and filming their hunts, no matter if they're a part of a show or not, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like I, I'm just a big believer that, you know, it's, it's very worthwhile taking a camera to the woods with you. And even if it's just for yourself or your family to, to look back on. Um, but I get, that's probably one of the most common requests I get is, you know, what camera do you recommend or what, you know, what setup do you recommend or, um, you know, how do you, how do you set up in the tree when you're self filming? So I'm going to produce a little series of videos to try to cover all that, to try to help people. And, and hopefully my goal would be to get more people involved in the filming. Um, I just think that once guys get into it, uh, they'll realize how much fun it is. So yeah, different, different ideas for content like that. Um, and again, just, just hopefully provide videos that guys want to watch, but more than anything, you know, keep doing things, uh, so that it's fun and, and, you know, kind of keeps that fire lit for me. Heck yeah, man. Well, tell us, uh, where, where can they find that? Is that just going to be YouTube, social media? Tell us where they can find you. Yeah. YouTube for now, just my own, uh, channel on YouTube is where I'm putting the videos for now. Social media, I'm, uh, I have social media i'm just not very active on it so it, obviously people can't follow there but the youtube is going to be the better spot um i don't love youtube either but it's uh it seems to be the spot where people want to spend time watching videos so that's uh that's the primary platform i'm using right now for that content sweet well i'll drop links down in the description below for everybody so if y'all want to check everything jared does check it out he does a great job especially that 194 man if you want to get stressed when watching deer hunting <laughs> They got to watch that. So, well, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast with me today, talking, you know, spring deer scouting and just kind of approaching how to have a better game plan for the fall. So, man, thanks for your time today. I enjoyed it, man. Anytime. It's always fun talking deer and, you know, hopefully someone can learn from, from that or, um, you know, people always can feel free to reach out directly to me too with regards to the filming or the scouting or anything. But yeah, I enjoyed it. We'll, we'll have to plan on doing it again sometime. Oh, yeah, I can definitely forecast and see a rut podcast in the near future. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it.